Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Writing a series of features on the plight of the homeless people in consecutive weeks in the Saturday Star, author, author and journalist David Gemmel commented as follows. There will always be sad stories. There, will, there are always going to be people in desperate situations. Tragically, it is just a fact of life. However, I do feel by disseminating their chronicles, they have a small chance of striking a chord with someone who is able to assist, with someone who can change the direction of their lives in a meaningful way. In his Saturday Star articles, David has chronicled the lives of homeless people and is urging more and more to get involved. He joins me now to tell me more. David, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Good morning, Sharice. David. You started off on a little bit of an aggressive side with regards to a, a beggar on the side of the road. He was juggling. He didn't get out of the way in time, and you nearly knocked him over. That was the first of several encounters with him. W- what was the change of heart? I think it um, – I mean, initially I was I was quite angry with him. You know, I just felt that, yeah, he was trying to earn his money from these people, and at the same time he was, he was virtually threatening them. And, you know, I was getting on my high horse and being all self-righteous about it as I drove up the road. But it didn't take long, and I realized, you know, I've got everything, and, and he's got virtually nothing. And there's probably a reason why he's so so angry and aggressive, and um, maybe I should go find out. And, you know, that would be a different way of dealing with it. And and then meeting him and talking to him and, and finding out I actually got on with him um, – we became kindred spirits quite early on because he was sitting in the car and, and I was interviewing him and we, we weren't get, getting very far. And um, I, I was asking him fairly mundane questions to try and get through to him. And I said, uh, what do you eat when you go home? And he says, well, um, my mother makes me a, a special stew and she makes food for herself. And I said, what's special about your stew? He says, no, I don't eat meat. I'm a raster. So I said, listen to this, and I, I just happened to have Bob Marley in in my car on the CD, and I played him a song, and immediately he fist-pumped me, and ah. we were buddies. And after that, I found out we had so much in common, which was really quite interesting. When you're out there, um, you've done a series of people. You've done The the, uh, the Missing Lady. Um, you've done some of the projects here among the junk Oh, you call them the junk? Trash junkies. The trash it's, junkies. I don't think, is that an, did you come up with that term? No, it's not an original term, but it's, it's, it's a very clever play on words, which a lot of people miss, is just quickly, is, is if you're a junkie, you're addicted. Right. So they're addicted to trash, which they are. They, they just love trash because that's how they make their living. But at the same time, if you trash something, you, you reduce it, you wreck it, and they trash the junk. So it's it's a very very clever play on words. I mean, some people might see it as offensive, but it's not. It's a, it's it's a, it's just almost an endearing term. Um, I just I liked it when I read it. I was reading stuff. I was researching stuff, and I found it in some international article. So I've used it. That's that's I, where it came from. I must tell you, I liked it as well because you often look for terms to describe various people, and I know they're called recyclers, but it is in a way an endearing term. The question is. What is are you finding different hierarchies of homeless people in terms of you have the beggars, then you have the recyclers who stand a chance, and then you have what I would call the bead workers who often come from foreign countries who are literally eking out an existence. What have you discovered? Yeah, there are there are definitely levels. There, you, you know, you get the entertainers. Now they they're not on the street because. 
they so much because they're destitute. Some of them are, and so they took up juggling to become an entertain, you know, to find a way of earning money. But um, a lot of them see themselves as artists who who are looking for an audience, and and they they can't find an audience. So a ready audience is is are the cars in the street, and that that is their audience. So they're not beggars; they're performing for their money. You get the pure out and out people who've given up and are just begging. They just want something. Um, you get other people that, that almost see it as, as a business. Um, I, I, I interviewed a guy a few weeks ago, Michael. He, I called him the general dealer on legs because he sells anything. He doesn't see himself as a, an Avo salesman or a, a disc salesman or something else. He sees himself as a salesman, and he thinks he's the best. So give him something, and he'll sell it. And he sees it as a profession. He's quite happy. There's the guy I called the broom daddy of um, Parkhurst. He went around with a big pile of brooms and everything else, and he liked to think he was a whiz with brooms. He was, you know, when he called out to me one day, he said, hey, sir, do you want a broom? And I said, no, I don't need a broom. He said, yeah, but you haven't seen these. <sighs> you know, he was, and he, and he sent his child to a private school in Hillbrow. Okay, private, okay. but it's a special school. And he lives quite nicely. And so he feels it's his job. He's not employed by anyone. So it's it's all these different levels where some people have to do it. Some people almost Jeez, want to do it because they need a, to find an audience. But it, there definitely is a separation, a couple of levels of these people. Is there a formal investigation into the homeless? I mean, I always think, is there a social anthropologist out there at a university who is studying how they survive, who they are, where they come from, and common ground so we can help them? I think more and more, I mean, I'm finding this out as I go along. I make it up as I go you, along. So you're the expert. <laughs> yeah, I'm the resident expert. But... Um, what I've just done recently, my last two or three articles, was look at the other side, the people who are helping them and sort of why they do it and everything else. And you'd be astonished how many people do um, lend these people assistance. You, you know, I call them guardian angels. Virtually every one of the street people I've met has got lurking in the background a guardian angel, someone who looks after them, who turns up when they're really down or somebody they can phone when they're ill. And and there are a lot of good people out there helping them. I'm not sure if there's a sort of a – there are a lot of organizations who do who do their own thing. I don't think there's a unified group of people or anything else. Um, it's it's very difficult because of the different layers and if, because of the numbers. There, there, there are so many of them. Is it increasing in just anecdotally? I, I, I think um, not really. I think it goes up and down. And, you know, like um, – in, at Christmas, there's more of them because they know people are being generous and kind and got money and, and whatever. And I think in winter, there are less of them. They, where they go, I've, I've no idea. But, um, yeah, I think it's sort of probably seasonal and everything else. But I don't think there are more of them necessarily. Obviously, that's based on the economy and everything else. But I, th- I think if you did a, um, an average over the last 20 years, you'd probably find it, it's remained mo- remarkably steady, yeah. So, uh, well, that is encouraging because sometimes you just feel that they're more hopeless-looking people more often. Yeah. You know, more, more and more people in wheelchairs who are begging or disabled in some way. Yeah, that's always a, a difficult one because you, you know they might they might be gainfully employed in something else, but then they go out and they find that they can earn the same just by you know getting people's sympathy. It's sometimes it's hard not to be cynical about what you're seeing. If you get too emotionally involved, it, 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 you, you just go under with them. So you've sometimes got to harden your heart a little bit and be a bit cynical about them, that they are there for not always good reasons, you know. 
Are they themselves exploited? Um, are some of them exploited? Mm. Yeah. So uh, I think there, there must be. I haven't uncovered anything like that, and I haven't really heard anything. I keep getting these rumors that um, these women with babies are in a syndicate and they borrow babies and they, well, they have babies just to beg on the corner, but I can't imagine anyone would do that. Because there was a time that they weren't allowed to have ba- There was a crash that was open, and again, this is a long time ago, so my information might be a little bit sketchy, but there was a crash that was open to allow those kids to come to the crash to ensure that there were not kids being brought up on the sides of the road. And... Um, Yet it persisted. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. How are you going to stop it? You know, you, you can't go around arresting mothers with babies, and no. and there's never enough people to help them all. But um, what, what I'm becoming astounded. I mean, just um, um, there's a gentleman's club down in Ravonia. Um, probably not everybody's cup of tea, but. It runs a soup kitchen. You know, you, you, you'd be astonished if I told you that they run uh, and have been running in, in Alex, you know, over the years. At four o'clock in the morning, the biggest bowl of food, um, I mean, a stew, whatever it is, goes out and feeds, um, I don't even know the numbers, but an, an enormous number of kids. And they own, owe their living, you know, the kids owe, owe their better life um, to what are probably not the most tasty activities going on in another end of town. So it's a very odd thing, yeah. you know. It's, uh, you talk about um, in your last, oh, I'm not sure exactly which article it was, Stan Medalli who feeds mm. um, the recyclers in Glen Hazel. And if they hadn't had that meal, they wouldn't possibly have had a meal at all that week. Well, Stan said, to, uh, I put it in as though I asked the guy, but uh, you know, to be fair, that's just... Um, well, what do you call it? Um, poetic license. Yeah. No, but Stan said to one of them, he said, if I hadn't turned up and given, given you this meal, what would you have done tonight? And the guy just looked at him and said, I would have had another thing of water and gone to sleep. And, and, and I asked one of them, I said, um, what else have you eaten today? He was busy eating Stan's food. And he said, nothing. This is my first meal since yesterday. I mean, that just breaks your heart. And Well, that's what I want to ask you. How are people surviving on the streets? I mean, last night was one hang of a storm. And you just think, what happens if you don't have a shelter? What happens if you don't have a kettle to have a nice cup of tea? How are they surviving? Uh, yeah, well, you see, that's the bit that gets me is um, those the recyclers, the trash junkies, um, they live in the open most of the week. Mm. In the weekends, they seem to end up at some home somewhere. Um but the, these, these guys, and you ask them, where do you sleep? And they say outside. They won't tell you exactly where because they're still a bit wary that you might. I think they've been let down so often that somebody might tell the authorities. Yeah, and, then the, and then they will be arrested or moved on or something else. But, I mean, I just you just cannot imagine what it must be like sleeping in bushes and it suddenly starts raining. And, or cold you know. and windy or hailing. Or. And what you also can't believe is how they are victims of crime. They those trolleys that they pull, which which oh, just are the most astonishing machines. I mean, I've, there's a video on on Facebook somewhere that, of a guy going down the hill at sixty kilometres an hour having a smoke, and he's on those tiny little wheels. I mean, it's just astonishing. But people steal those things from them. Now they have to pay. I think it's about a hundred rand for them. But there's a business going on where somebody makes those things. They steal them from Woolworths. They put them together. They you, you, they're just amazing things. And um, Sell them to the guys, the recyclers, and then they, and then somebody else steals them. 
and, and obviously sells them to someone else. So mm. there's exploitation you know, of the poorest. It's, I mean, you it's, can't it's imagine that. You know, you would think, well, the one thing those guys can relax about is they don't have to worry about crime. No, they no. are victims of crime as well. And they have no recourse. We, we, we mm. would have recourse or, you know, some kind of help. They have absolutely nothing. And yet, I think I actually want to quote you uh, in, your, in, in another one of your articles. You said that you've been chronicling the lives of the homeless for a while and you found it, and I quote, tad more emotionally challenging than you expected. Why? I'm not actually sure. You know, I didn't set out to be Mr. Do-Gooder, um, you know. Um, I just, I started off quite cynically, you know, to find out why this guy was being rude to people and everything else. And and then I you, you got fairly emotionally involved because you just feel so sorry for these people. And you also feel a little bit, little bit helpless that you can't help everyone. But I think just helping the ones you can, it counts. And at the same time as... Um, I didn't think really, you know, we had much in common in the way of you could sort of identify them as, as yeah, I mean, this sounds a bit patronizing as you, not your equal, but, you, you know, you, you just sort of felt they were sort of downcast, lower cost people, so you couldn't feel that sorry for them. But yet I found they're perfectly nice people and they have the, almost the same aspirations. They want a good life for their kids. They want just the basics for themselves and that. And you you can see you know you just can see how sad it must be what they're going through, and very few of them are bitter, and that it all makes you quite emotional because mm. you think, you know, the things mm. I complain about and the mm. things I get bitter about and everything else, and yet I've got a basically perfect life, you know, compared to theirs. Yeah, absolutely. I know it's like it's there, but for the grace of God, go absolutely. Yeah, oh, you always feel that. If, if I could just tell you a quick story about the the juggler, the one that I try to run over. We were invited to to go on TV to on some Muslim program, and I'd never heard of it. I don't watch DSTV, but I, I, of course, I went. If I can get some publicity for these people, it'll help. And they said, would you bring one of your street people? So I took um, Kutlung with me. He's the juggler. Right. And I, I didn't coach him. I did nothing. I just said to him, there's only one thing. Just look at the presenter. Don't look at the cameras and say what you want to. And he, he acquitted himself quite well, I thought. And, but this is the the point of the story. Is when we were leaving, we were in the car and we stopped at the lights, and a, a person selling homeless talk came up to me, and I said, "No, sorry, I was street people out mm. at that stage. I picked up the juggler at Nortaus in the morning. I'd got him to the studio. I'd worried about the interview. I'd done my bit, and I said, no, I'm terribly sorry." With that, Kutlung called him. He said, "Oi, come around here." And the guy came around and he dug in his shabby little purse and he gave him uh-huh. five rand. And I just shook my head. I thought, yeah, I'm too busy to give him some money. But the street person is giving the other street person money. So that was such an eye-opener. And you realize they are probably all quite nice people. Not everyone, but yeah. most of them. Yeah, sure. Uh, do you know why the majority of them are? Because it seems like there is a story, just just from my interaction with them, many of them have left uh, rural areas from Mpumalanga, from, and really places where you know, there's nothing, nothing, nothing. They come to Joburg looking for a better life and are unable to find one. Yeah, I think it's the dream, you know, the the city of dreams and Egoli and, you know, we'll go up there, the, you know, the streets are paved with gold and they suddenly find they're not and they find there's lots of other people also looking for help and money and begging and suddenly the opportunities dry up. That's the other thing is I've, I've found this that 
in most of them, if you get down to the crunch and you ask them what they want out of life, they don't want a big house. Mm. Uh, they don't want. Uh, they don't even know which car they'd want. In fact, if they want a car, it would be a bucky so they can transport their stuff. But the aspirations are so sort of simple in real terms. I mean, the one, the broom daddy wants to be a chef. How difficult would it be to send him on a chef's course? Um, the guy who, carry, who collects garbage in Branson in his suit, he just wants to be a gardener. Yeah. He just loves gardening. He talks about plants. His eyes come alight. But what has he got to do? Walk up and down the road with a plastic bag. And you think we could actually solve this if we matched some of the their demands with what some other people could supply. And it's usually not very big. David, you talk about the angels. What, ha- uh, what responses have you got to your articles? I know it's, it's been small. In fact, I was quite relieved the very first time I got a response because then I realized that somebody was reading them. <laughs> I had two readers, my daughter and, and somebody else. Um, but they have. People have been incredibly kind. I mean, like the juggler, the, 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 uh, somewhere in the article I mentioned that he, he said to me he could, he could juggle on a unicycle and he could do all these other things on stilts. And I said, so why don't you do it? And he said, I can't afford a unicycle. So one of my friends read it and he said, how much does a unicycle cost? And I said, I've no idea. We looked it up. It was about two grand. And he said, yeah, I'll buy him one. He gave me 2,000 rand. He just stuck it in my hand. He said, you go buy him one. I said, don't you want to see it? Don't you want to come hand it over? He said, no, no, just buy him one. So um, it's amazing how everybody comes to the fore. Then there was a friend of mine. If I had to list my friends who, who might donate something, he would have come bottom. Right. <laughs> He's now at the top. Okay. But, uh, it's other surprising pe- how it's never people, what you expect or who you expect or what you expect. I know people are astonishing. They're, they're, I interviewed a, the one-legged guy, um, the one-legged wallet salesman in, in, in Republic Avenue, and he mentioned that he, he had to pay 800 rand a month rent, and in fact he was behind in his rent. And he was a bit stressed out. Well, let me tell you, on the Monday, a lady contacted me. Always, most of them want to be anonymous. And she just said, look, don't mention my name. But um, if you tell me where I can give you 800 rand towards his next rent, um, I'll do it. And the next, on the Monday, I delivered 800 rand to this guy. You should have seen his face. He just simply couldn't believe it, you know, that somebody had done that. And, And no, the response has been very, very good. Because sometimes it is, as you say, um, I know a Malawian uh, beggar, and he wants a um, sewing machine. Is that all he wants? All he wants. Well, it's like the little guy. A second-hand sewing machine so he can start a business. And you wonder how many people are sitting with sewing machines stuffed in their cupboards that they would like to throw out but not quite sure where, how. Um, The little guy in Hyde Park, the little funky, his middle name is Funky. Um, I called him the Funky Crutchman. He's a little guy on crutches, the funniest, nicest guy. All he wants is a keyboard because he does gospel singing. Now, Uh I've seen in my friends' houses Mm -hmm. keyboards lying there they bought for their kids and they never use them. And one day they're going to get thrown out. Yes. And I just think if we could somehow or other organize or, you know, just get these things to the people who need them. Well, maybe you've become the point man. <laughs> I never wanted to. It's all by accident, yeah. What, what also I enjoy reading every now and then, and, for example, it was in our local uh, Caxton newspaper, the Northeastern Tribune, I read an article how two restaurants in the area were once a week also supplying food to the homeless people and I was like very excited to see that and there probably are lots of different initiatives do you think it's a brilliant thing that everybody does their own initiative or 
do you think these initiatives should somehow be coordinated, if possible, to maximize what's happening? I think if, if there was a sort of a, a more knowledge of who these initiatives are, and then this is just, again, I'm making it up, is, is if you had a sort of controlling somebody who could match the initiative to what the requirement was, rather than, you know, to, to run anything it becomes a nightmare. You get yes. a committee and a yes. boss and, and, and then politics, and, and, and then after a while everyone Nothing forgets why they're yet. doing it. Yeah. So I think people must get on with what they're doing and everything else. But if we knew what they were doing, you know, say there was a central office. A mapping. Yeah, and somebody phoned and said we need a keyboard. And you knew there's somebody down that way who collects uh, musical instruments for for street people. And I bet you there is somebody. And then you could just match them. And And it might be as simple as a WhatsApp group. Yeah, something as simple as that. Because I find as soon as you get an organization, you, you get two people, you've got politics. You know, they, they start fighting with each other rather than doing what they're supposed to be doing. Well, David, I hope to see lots more articles. I'm enjoying them. I am reading them. Um, I'm sure lots of other people are also maybe feeling like I do, curious to know but too scared to ask or wanting to help but not knowing how. So I think you've actually provided a, an incredible forum for people. I'll be in touch with you to give you names of people I think you might want to interview in the series going forward. Please don't stop. Can I say one, yeah, one last thing? And Sorry. also how anybody can contact you if they'd like to. I told Stan Madali that I was coming on and uh, he said um, – it might be nice if you could tell people to just separate their rubbish before they throw it out. So I'd like to ask everyone, before you throw your rubbish out, separate the plastic from the paper, from the glass. And even if you just put it in separate plastic bags, it'll make the life for these recyclers so much easier. So I got my plug in. Thank you. And also just before you go, if anybody would like to contact you because they um so they want to initiate something and also just don't know how to do it. Any contact details? Oh, yeah, sure. My, um, I think my email is the easiest. It's, it's gemmel, G-E-M-M-E-L-L-J-L, at gmail.com. And, of course, if anybody didn't get that, they're welcome to get it from me because I do yeah, have your contact thank details. You. I will be in touch with you some more. And just to say well done and thank you so much and thank you for coming in. Thank you, Cherise. Thank you very much.